Good evening and you are very welcome to this week's episode of Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. I hope you are safe and well as you tune in and I hope you enjoy the show that we've got lined up for you this evening. A little bit later on tonight, we're going to be talking about the Yoga Picnic, a new festival here in the Midlands, which aims to go eventually at least uh, waste free. So we're going to see how this year's iteration will be more sustainable. But first things first, we are joined by our uh, resident environmental journalist, I think at this stage, Caroline, Caroline O'Doherty of the Irish Independent. You are very welcome back, Caroline. Thanks, Ashley. Now, Carolyn, I noticed there recently you had a piece about, well, the way electricity was being marketed to us. But it might, first things first, is the term I want us to get to grips with. What exactly is greenwashing? Greenwashing has different definitions because it's not defined in law or regulation. But basically, it means when you have a good, a product, a service, and you sell it in such a way as to make it sound more environmentally friendly than it is. Uh, And there's so many different ways you can do that. You can do it very overtly, make claims uh, about how it's made or what it achieves that are not entirely true. Um, Most uh, marketers are smarter than that. They do it in slightly more subtle ways. So they can do it kind of, um, they can, if you picture, what's your average car ad, for example? Uh, People are jumping into their car and driving out of the city. The city is bad and all the rest. And they're going out into the countryside, driving through pristine forests and leaping into pristine lakes or running into the waves and clean sands. Um, This might be for a hybrid car. Hybrid is better than fully petrol or fully diesel. But it's not the answer. It's not an electric car. Um, it's not an electric vehicle. And they're not saying that it's the answer. And they're not saying it's anything, but they're implying that somehow mm-hmm. by driving this car, you're contributing to this pristine forest and these wonderful waves and this beautiful clean beach. That's greenwashing. Um, they're not doing anything wrong. It's not a lie. It, but what it's giving you the impression as the vulnerable, uh, impressionable consumer that, oh, I should buy that. You're linking, they're linking images and linking ideas. So that's something that's done quite often. And then there are just other, other claims. Um, you know, they're over, over and exaggerating the impact of something. So you can have a, an item that's suddenly now in a new biodegradable wrapper. That's fine. But the product itself is, possibly completely unnecessary. So it's, it's a luxury good or it's something we don't need. Um, you know, it, it, there's nothing about how it's transported, you know, halfway across the world to your house, uh, the, the goods that go into it, the items that go into it, all of that. They're just focusing on one aspect of it. It's now in a biodegradable wrapper. And they also don't check, well, you know, is there somewhere to dispose of it where it will biodegrade safely? Oftentimes our, our waste is mixed, so it won't actually biodegrade back into nature as it's again implied mm-hmm. so again there's no lie there um but it's just creating a bigger impression you know on on the on the impressionable consumer than is actually the reality so it's not an out and out lie but it's a a significant um impression a significant suggestion as to why this might be more environmentally friendly and so therefore maybe you should buy it maybe you should give us your money. And I know I was uh, shopping 
recently in a high street retailer and I spent, I know it's fast fashion, but I fell in love with this green jumper and uh, about 30 euros. So dirt cheap, really like, you know, um, I don't buy clothes all that often nowadays, but it's apparently made from 100% recycled polyester. And the thing is, that's great. But as the consumer, I don't really know if that's true. And I don't, it, that might, and they're, but the, the way they make the 100%, even if it is 100% recycled, doesn't necessarily mean it's entirely environmentally friendly, does it? No, it doesn't. And you're right there. It's very hard to prove, you know, what is the industry standard for, you know, recyclable polyester in itself? You know, it's not a great product in the first place. Ideally, we would be not using polyester. It It is a kind of a plastic and mm-hmm. it's, it comes from fossil fuels. So, OK, so it's better than it just being dumped or burned. It's better than it be made into something else. But, we, you know, again, we don't know what the processes were involved. Um, you know, that even organic cottons sound great, but we know that it's huge amounts of water, for example, used in, 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 in making cotton. So you don't know about the processes. So it sounds good and 100%, so, you know, it always sounds great. But there are so many processes going into the manufacturing and, again, the transport. And you don't know. And as consumers, we're not really empowered to know. Um, and the manufacturers play on that. You see it with the big oil and gas companies. You know, every ad they have will have a wind turbine uh, involved <laughs> and children running through fields. Um, and in reality, we know that a very tiny proportion of their investment, capital investment every year is actually going into renewable energy. It's still going into fossil fuels. So they know how to get the better of us on these kind of things. Okay. So take us back then to why this became a news item recently in relation to electricity and how electricity is being sold to us here in Ireland. Okay, well, if you're, uh, you know, an environmentally conscious um, electricity consumer, you might be impressed by some of the claims by uh, electricity suppliers in this country. And we have about a dozen of them. And in various shapes or forms, um, many of them will offer a green sort of green renewable energy package to you. And some claim to be entirely renewable and entirely green energy. That's kind of impossible in Ireland. If you think about it, our renewables um, supply about 31, 32% of our electricity requirement every year. So how can it be 100% renewable? Um, also, even if you sign up to a, a, a electricity supplier who only uses wind turbines, you're not connected to that wind turbine. There is no cable running from your TV and out the front door and along a country lane up to a wind turbine. All of the electricity suppliers and producers all feed into one grid Mm -hmm. and all that electricity is pooled. So you may be signing up to a 100% renewable package, but, you know, the electricity that's powering our conversation here could be coming from coal. uh, It could be coming from oil, gas, or even a little bit of peat. So, Here's the difficulty. They're allowed to say it's 100% renewable because they buy this certificate, which is called a guarantee of origin. And this is uh, this is Europe wide. Um, it's allowed. Um, it's allowed here. And as long as they buy a certificate that sort of matches. Uh, so say you're, they have customers and they, they, they buy what they can't is not produced from the suppliers that they use or the wind producers they use or the solar producers. They'll buy they'll make up the other portion by buying these certificates from wind and solar producers somewhere else in Europe. So somewhere out there there's a unit of clean, green electricity being generated, but it isn't coming to your house. <laughs> um so 
that's an issue. They're allowed to say 100% renewable because they will make up the difference by buying these certificates. Here's the problem. The way they, some of them, and one, one company in particular, they were using an advertising campaign that said, you know, 100% green energy to your home. Okay. Now, again, nothing technically wrong with that. But what was interesting here was the Advertising Standards Authority um, investigated this and looked at it from the point of view of um, the consumer. What does the consumer understand from that? So, okay, the, the supplier is not doing anything wrong. The supplier is allowed to say this, but how does the consumer understand it? The consumer would understand it, that there's a cable somehow running from their house. It may sound silly, but, you know, we're ordinary people. You know, mm-hmm. there may be a cable running from your estate or your home somewhere to a wind turbine somewhere, and I'm feeling good because I'm powering my house on 100% renewable electricity. What was interesting is that um, this decision hasn't been completely formalised by the Advertising Standards Authority. There are two stages to their decisions. They do an investigation. They come up with a recommendation. It goes to an independent committee who either rejected, accepted or accepted in part or whatever. Um, So it hasn't gone to that independent committee stage, but it was a very powerful decision by the investigative side. We don't normally get to hear what goes on at that interim level because they upheld all parts of the complaints. They were very, very strong on the consumer that that companies must not um, manipulate or make use of um, customers' basically ignorance. They say it nicer than that, but their lack of specialist knowledge, mm-hmm. that they shouldn't exploit that, you know, um, and they're very much on the consumer side on this. They haven't been in the past, and there's a more recent decision there where, you know, people are upset that, you know, they haven't seen it from the consumer point of view. But in this one, they did. And what's interesting is that um, the company was Energia, yeah, and we did speak to them, and they have said, look, you know, they are working with the Advertising Standards Authority around their wording of the ads. Now, I've been looking, and they have slightly watered it down. They've certainly taken that line to your home out of their advertising. I noticed that one of their main rivals is doing a radio ad at the moment, and they're very clearly stating, for green energy claims, check our website. So, you know, they are sort of acknowledging, you've got to check our website, you know, and understand why we're saying we're green. But when, they, when you go into that website, unfortunately, they're referring you to like 30-page technical yeah. documents from the Commission for Regulation of Utilities who explained this very complicated guarantees of origin certification system. So they're doing a, they're going a little bit of the way and at least acknowledging what they feel is going to be the final decision from the Advertising Standards Authority. But they're not going at it wholeheartedly and saying, you know what, you're right, and we're going to do it from the consumer's perspective. Um, they're, they're, they're asking you to read something that's not intelligible to the average person. They're very complicated technical documents, not for public consumption, really. So we have a long way to go. Uh, for them to be, yeah. for companies to speak to us in a language we understand and see things from the way we understand that, you know, people might well say, well, I'd still rather a company, you know, that's striving for uh, to to get most of their electricity from wind and solar, because we know that over the next 10 years, there's going to be an awful lot more wind and solar in Ireland. So these are the companies who are ready to go. They're already doing it. They're they're sourcing as much as they can. Mm -hmm. So they could build up great customer loyalty by saying, every time we can, we're going to get more green energy and to your home as much as we can. But, you know, I think it adds to a lot of cynicism on behalf of the consumer because they don't know what to believe. And that's just it. And I think that's what 
like you, there, there is an a company advertising at the moment that when you open the dishwasher, you have to look out the window to see if it's windy out as to whether or not this might be a good time to put the dishwasher on, which is quite frankly ludicrous because just because it's windy at your house doesn't mean it's windy where the turbine is. And even at that, your house is not piped directly to the turbine. And can you sense how frustrated and annoyed I am about these particular types of advertising? But yet, supposedly, these are not doing anything wrong. Like... People are very cynical now and there's an awful lot of mistrust in media in general and advertising falls under that. And I think in many ways, people quite rightly feel lied to. And now we're trying to build confidence that we should be doing something about the climate crisis, that we should be taking personal responsibility. But if these companies technically can buy these licenses and make these claims I can understand why people will be really frustrated about it. Yeah, because whether we like it or not, I mean, we like to think in the the job that you do that you're providing really good, solid, factual information to people. I like to think I'm doing it through the stories that I write. But a lot of people get their information from advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, and they and that's 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 that shouldn't be a bad thing, you know. That's how people people are uh, advertising is absolutely everywhere, um, and it shouldn't inherently be a bad thing. It is a bad thing when the information can't be trusted, and the advertisers may say, "But we're not technically wrong." But how it's received at the customer's end—that's where the, the benchmark has to be. I think that's where the standards have to apply. And at the moment, it is very, very tricky. There are so many claims being made, and as I say, it's either about one tiny aspect of their operation. You, this happens a lot. You will see a lot of very large firms, um, not necessarily as as sort of front facing as the consumer goods that we're aware of. But I know that I'm bombarded every day with statements from very large companies who want to give me their you know, corporate social responsibility annual report. Um, and that will include their climate ambitions. And they want to say that they've signed up to this particular climate target and this is what they're going to do and so on. Um, and a lot of them have, you know, get quite a lot of kudos for this. We're going to be the first in Europe to do this or the first in Ireland mm-hmm. to that or the biggest in Ireland to do this. Um, and again, when you drill down into it, uh, very often, they're buying carbon offsets. So again, they're getting maybe their manufacturing plant onto, again, 100% renewable electricity. Now, unless you've got, you know, a roof full of solar panels and wind turbines out the door, and actually a couple of firms are doing that. So they genuinely are a cable running out their front door to a wind turbine, fair play to them. But unless they're doing that, Again, they're not buying 100% renewable electricity. Um, and they're also saying, you know, a carbon neutral plant. Well, you know, how are your workers getting to the plant? Where is your raw material coming from? Um, you know, we have a lot of dairy plants, for example, um, you know, who have made claims um, about how their, what their sustainability levels are, what their climate action targets are. But again, we have this difficulty in that dairy in itself is such so car so methane intensive, but so greenhouse gra- gas intensive. So then how do you make that claim? You know, your manufacturing plant might be, you know, 100% or, you know, high tech, high spec, low emissions, low this. But if your fundamental raw material isn't, you know, and if all your workers, your, you know, 500 workers are driving back and forward in, in fossil fuel cars, how do you say your plant is? What is your plant? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it not the activities that happen in it and around it? 
So there, look, there are different ways in Europe and Ireland have brought in um, what they call scope one emissions, scope two emissions, scope three emissions. And it's it's about your your actual physical plant. It's about your goods and your services and, and everything that feeds into it and everything that leaves your, your plant. Um, it's Again, it's technical. Again, it's not what your average person is going to understand or look to understand, to be honest. They just want to know that the end product is somewhat okay. But quite frankly, have the time to look, to understand, because let's be honest, none of us have enough time in the day and it shouldn't really be on us to figure out whether or not when I sit down to choose which energy provider I'm going to pay um, as to whether or not what they're telling me is plain English and whether or not it's honest. So do we need, I know, and this is something that I have a bit of a hobby horse, but do we need some form of plain English advertising law to be brought in, particularly around the climate crisis, given the significance of the problem of the climate crisis? I would say so. I mean, a lot of government departments and agencies sign up to the um, the NALA, the um, National Adult Literacy um, Agency. They're, they have brought out guidelines on what is plain English. Now, that's to do more with your rights and mm-hmm. for benefits and supports and, and all of that. And they'll have a plain English version. And it's really welcome that they have that. You could argue that in some way that should be applied to, to, to companies. Um, the other difficulty is that, of course, even the Advertising Standards Authority, it lacks teeth. First of all, it's reactive. So it takes an ordinary person to go make a complaint. There's a whole rigmarole and timeline involved there. And very often, you know, a claim might be made in an advertising campaign around a particular offer or a particular good for a particular period. And by the time, if they actually are told, you know, take that down, that wording is a bit, you know, not great. Um, you know, they've done their job anyway. So that they're not, they're, they're happy that the Advertising Standards Authority doesn't go out there to look for ads and please them themselves. What's interesting is that in the UK, they're bringing in, uh, they've, they're publishing, they've published a bill that so we don't have the final wording of it against greenwashing. And that's, it, the, the, the suggested fines and penalties are really strong. So it could be up to 10% of global turnover for a company. If it's an individual, it, it can be up to £300,000. Now, we've yet to see exactly again, this will be interesting. How will they actually define greenwashing? Mm-hmm. Uh, what exactly will it be? But that, that's going to be fascinating because there has been some talk um, at government departmental level here um, and it kind of comes under the Department of Enterprise and it kind of comes under the Department of Climate Action and kind of comes under the agency of the, the Consumer Protection and Competition um, Authority. You know, is there a way of being proactive and setting out either guidelines or somehow mandatory language regulations Um we're, we're a bit behind the curve on it, but there, I think there is an acknowledgement. Um, and in the meantime, I think, you know, if you can get people to put more complaints into the Advertising Standards Authority, um, it sounds like I'm encouraging people to be a nuisance. But, you know, if that's the only power available to people, for people to at least say, well, you know, I understood this. And I'm an intelligent person. I'm, I'm intelligent enough to be able to work through your online advertising, you know, your advertising complaint system. So trust me, you know, I'm, I'm not a fool. And this is how I understood it. And it's not actually the case. So I'd like you to investigate it. And at least putting it the onus on, it might just create a little bit of a groundswell whereby, you know, the authorities begin to take note um, and government departments begin to look at, is it possible? But I definitely think we should be looking to see what the UK comes up with. Um, You know, if there's good law out there, we should just copy it, essentially. Let them Mm -hmm. do the parliamentary drafting, let them do the work for us, but maybe to have a look at it and see what exactly they come up with, I think is going to be really interesting. 
you mentioned earlier on there, Caroline, that this um, this recommendation that the Advertising Standards Authority of Ireland has sent forward to or is going to send forward to this committee, like if the committee says, yes, the investigation here is correct, what's happening here is wrong, what's the likely consequence? Well, the consequence is always you're asked to take the advertising down to amend it or take it down completely. Now, as I say, I've noticed a slight change in energy already, and they did acknowledge, they did say we're working with the authority. And I did notice one of their main rivals mentioning on radio this little added thing at the end of their, their advertising for green claims. Check our website or please read our website. Um, I looked at a couple of others, um, and you know, there's still the claims are still woolly enough to say that they're verging on fudging the issue enough to mm-hmm. make you believe they're 100% green. But it could have a significant knock-on effect because I don't think companies want to be called liars. Mm-hmm. Um, no. There's something um, about that word, isn't there, that yeah. makes, no matter what, how big you are, being being called dishonest makes people very uncomfortable. It does. It does. And we can't necessarily say it in print because, you know, technically speaking, they're correct and mm-hmm. in law and regulation. But in well, ordinary people, ordinary being people implied. talking among themselves. Yes, yes. Yes. And ordinary people talking among themselves. You, know, they, well, you can't believe a word that company says because yeah. that's not good business. No. So I think they have to understand that. And it's not for us to advise them. They have their own uh, industry man- managers and advisors and consultants to do that. But I just think, you know, a little bit of a rethink in this, you can be terribly clever. Marketing is it is a, it's like a four year degree course in some places. Mm-hmm. So they're very clever people and they know the psychology of consumers. Just because you can be clever doesn't necessarily mean you should that's the right thing to do. I think people can see through that. So um, I just think, you know, a combination of maybe people uh, complaining um, and, you know, and and our lawmakers maybe, you know, taking it a bit more seriously. We could see some changes, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tricky one. These are these are essential services. You know, everybody needs electricity. So you know, there's also that in it. Isn't it? You know, yeah. we can we can say, look, I really don't know about this. You know, uh, mineral drinks, fuzzy fizzy drink. Um, I'm not really convinced about your your plastic packaging, paper packaging. You know, credentials. So I'm leaving you on the shelf. You can't leave electricity on the shelf. So no. you know, they do have us that way. <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's, you know, so the only power we do have is, is to go on to the ASAI's website and lodge a complaint and uh, and follow through. And 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 for now, the option is for us to do the legwork. But uh, you have done that for us in spades this evening. Uh, Caroline O'Doherty of the Irish Independent, thank you very much for your time on Let's Go Green. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands103.com. I hope you're enjoying the show so far this evening. Just a note to remind you that I'm always looking for ideas for the show and I'm more than delighted to hear from you. So if you would like to get involved with Let's Go Green or suggest an item for the show, please do go on to midlands103.com. Click on the on-air team, click on my name, Ashling O'Rourke, and there you will find a contact me here button, which will allow you to send me a quick note. So please do feel free to drop me a line and give me some ideas or even put yourself forward as a guest on the show. Well, I know it's early in the season just yet, but before we know it, we're going to be 
right smack bang in the middle of festival season across the Midlands. And there are more and more festivals popping up every year, it seems. And I know it's a very challenging enterprise to run, and I'm sure it's a mountain to climb to get one of these things off the ground. But here in the Midlands, we do have a relatively new festival, and that is the Yoga Picnic. We're joined now by one of the Yoga Picnic founders, Alice Harrison. Alice, you're very welcome to the programme. Thanks so much for having me, Ashley. It's great to be here. Now, Alice, first things first, what exactly is the Yoga Picnic? Um, Yeah, so the Yoga Picnic um, was established last year. Um, It's a yoga and movement festival um, and it basically brings together the best of teachers, speakers, holistic practices, musicians. And we have classes in yoga, dance, meditation, healing therapies, um, and we have discussion. And at the end of the day, we have a kirtan, which is a community sing sing song, a sing along um, of yoga music. So, so yeah, so we're basically like really proud to be an all female management team. Um, and the first event was really successful. Um, we got really great feedback. Um, so we're running it again this year and we hope to make it an annual event. Um, and this year it'll be on the 2nd of July with tickets going on sale soon as well. Okay. Now, something like that, like you're not just, you know, it, it's multifaceted, this festival. So I'm guessing I've never organized a festival, but I'm guessing there's an awful lot of work involved. Yeah, it's a huge amount of work. We probably underestimated the amount. <laughs> So how many people are on the team and, you know, like, and how do you go about starting off something like this? Because we're all used to seeing festivals, you know, right around Ireland. We've a great festival economy here, but we probably don't think about what goes in behind the scenes all that much. Yeah, well, we certainly, yeah, we certainly underestimated. There's three of us, um, myself, Mary Gardner and Katie Harrison as well, my sister, um, and so, yeah, we, we kind of established it thinking it would be a small event. We called it the yoga picnic for that kind of to have that kind of intimacy, a small yoga event and have a, a couple of um, classes and a get together and some food and music. Um, but it, it kind of became bigger um, as time went on and it just kind of blossomed into this bigger thing. Um, and, and now it, it was really exciting. We had over 200 people um, come last year and then we're hoping um, to have a lot more to double it this year. Um, so it's really exciting um, to kind of be at the start of something like this um, and yeah, we're really looking forward to the event. It'll be it'll be on again in Lilliput House. So it's it's right on the banks of Loch Ennell. It's just a beautiful location and it really kind of embodies everything about the summer. And of course, most importantly about all of this, it's going to happen right here in the heart of Midlands. Now, yeah. I know um, sustainability is something that yourself and your colleagues are particularly interested in. And obviously that's at the heart of what we do here on Let's Go Green. So Alice, talk to me about how, like why sustainability is important for a festival. Like what, what are the potential problems? Um, Well, so I suppose for us, because this is a yoga festival, we are trying to use yoga as a vehicle to increase awareness um, of sustainability and create a community around that of kind of people who who care for themselves and and their immediate environment and and then learn how to care for the planet as well. Um, so the meaning behind yoga is oneness. The, the meaning of the word yoga is oneness. Um, and basically, that's a union between all things, a connection to the earth celebration of community, inclusivity, sustainability. And what we're calling it is an Earthwise Festival. 
Um, and so environmental and sustainable policies kind of go hand in hand with yoga and mindfulness and healing practices, kind of that idea of respecting ourselves and caring for ourselves, our body, our mind, and then our natural environment as well. And it's really a tuning into the rhythms of nature like that. Um, and so obviously with festivals, there's lots of, you know, people attending and, um, you know, it's something, it's something that can have a big, um, carbon footprint and it'll create a lot of waste. Um, but we, I suppose at the yoga picnic, we want to plan for that. We're planning for the future and for our children. Um, and so, yeah, so our, so our ideas, first of all, I suppose the location, um, it's this amazing location on the banks of Loch Ennell where we can have, you know, we have stand up paddleboarding yoga. We have a sauna on the side. People can swim in the lake. And it's just really that idea of kind of fostering that connection with nature is there from the get go. And then we have with our plan, we have workshops and speakers that focus on sustainable practices and sustainable living practices, use natural materials like crafting with natural materials, foster the mind body connection with dance and mindfulness, meditation and obviously yoga. Um, and then we have healing practices like sound bath and Reiki. And then for us, we're, we're going to handpick our traders that, you you, you know, hopefully they'll use um not, uh, like eco-friendly practices, compostable materials, containers, things like that. We're choosing vegetarian um, pr- pr- suppliers as well, organic where we can. Um, our retailers, we're handpicking those to be to use sustainable materials um, and uh, sustainable methods, sorry, and natural materials. And um, so, yeah, we really want to kind of handpick those with an earthwise focus. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, yeah, sorry. That, that sounds very aspirational and, and wonderful. But the way you're lining it out there, there's an extra layer now. So you're not just looking for, for example, you know, a burger truck or, um, you know, a, an ice cream van. You're looking at, well, how does that particular company operate? Yeah. What kind of feedback are you getting from traders? Um. Well- well, I mean, the, like the people that we've made connections with from last year, like we had a, a vegetarian supplier last year and they used all compostable uh, materials as well. So, um, you know, they're, they're they're really delighted to be part of something like this. They're really excited to be part of it as well. The crafters, um, we have loads of really amazing crafters locally and just around Ireland as well, but especially in the Midlands um, and those that are, you know, growing their own flowers, doing their own basket work. Um, and so people are really excited about it. Um and not only that, not only with the lineup, we have other things like obviously we'll be recycling and putting in, in place recycling across the site. We have a bring your own cup policy where we will have a site wide ban of plastic bottles. We have paperless ticketing. We're going to encourage carpooling. So as best we can, we're going mm-hmm. to try and foster this idea of connection with the natural world and respect. I don't want to downplay the effort that this involves, but is it easier to do this from the outset do you think of setting up a festival as opposed to changing a festival that's already underway or already had been underway on an annual basis to to maybe try and change the fact that you guys are starting this with sustainability at the center of what you're doing do you think it makes it a bit more manageable for you yeah, absolutely. I think because we're, we're, we're starting now putting policies in place and putting ideas in place and starting from, from here, um, to create systems that will have sustainability at its core. Um, and also making connections between retailers, um, traders, people that, uh, and teachers and people. There's a, there's a, uh, um, 
philosophy and yoga, one of the limbs of yoga um, is ahimsa. It's a, it basically means non-violence. And it's this idea uh, that you know we're not violent to ourselves, our bodies, but our, our, our the natural world as well. Um, and so our teachers, our speakers and those with holistic practices as well will all be coming together. So, yeah, from the get go, we're establishing connections and community and with sustainability at its goal. And as I said, we hope to make it an annual event. Um, and so that we can, um, and obviously we're a very young festival, but we're going to start um, to to kind of, we have big aspirations, I suppose, around this and to kind of be a festival with sustainability at its core. I was away on holidays there um, the other week and as luck would have it, I was in um, a Portuguese um, area where they celebrated Carnaval. And I'd never seen, seen this event. I'd heard all about it, seen photographs on newspapers. Thought, God, we have to pop down now on this Saturday night and see what it's all about. And it was a fabulous night, wonderful event. And the particular town we were in, myself and the person we were travelling with, we'd commented throughout our state just how clean the place was. Like, I mean, it was like they were washing the streets regularly, um, which I was kind of wondering about water consumption. But that's a whole other argument. But as the night went on and this carnival parade came to an end, Immediately, there was a whole crew of cleaning people at the end of the parade in their jumpsuits, orange and navy jumpsuits. And as we were leaving, we saw them all line up for a, a photograph, a team, a team photograph, which I thought was lovely. And everybody gave them a lovely round of applause and they came in. And I remember like turning around to look and see that they had cleaning work to do afterwards. But I was kind of embarrassed to think that maybe they had less cleaning work to do there than we, we might have here because historically we've not been great when we're attending things like this. Uh, leave no trace might be something we've all grown up with in school, but there is an issue here in Ireland with littering and leaving a lot of rubbish behind us. So how then, you know, you're obviously trying to do something about this. You're trying to encourage people to, to recycle while they're there. But when you're trying to corral a couple of hundred people who supposedly buy into what you're selling how do you make sure that it doesn't get out of hand then on the day um yeah i suppose well um first of all we like we hope to have people who will um volunteer for us and and help us kind of on the day as well keeping an eye on on these kind of things and have have people actually in charge of kind of implementing these ideas. Um, but I suppose the whole ethos is that we're using um, we're using this festival, we're using yoga as a, as this vehicle to um, increase awareness. And I think the people that will attend our festival are the kind of are interested in this ethos mm. as well. Um, and and it's kind of it's, it's I suppose it's, it is about education and it's about awareness and it's about coming together as a community um, for the for the next generation and and so on um you know and, and that we will like hopefully um treat our 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 world with with respect and and that's something that we're you know not only in what we're doing in organizing the event but also in the lineup that we have um the 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 classes that we have the workshops the talks um they'll be kind of geared towards that and so it so it increases awareness as well so i suppose yeah we we just we're hoping and it's aspirational that we would be leave no trace and that we would reduce our carbon um that we would reduce our carbon footprint as well and typically then do you know what kind of carbon footprint might be um created as a result of a festival of this size 
Um, well, we're just growing. We're, we're you know, we're, we're, we're a young festival. So mm-hmm. um, we have to kind of, I suppose, do our research on that. And we're hoping to be able to do that as we grow, as we know how many people are coming and and what we can do with that number. Um, so as we grow, um, we'll hopefully have that research as well. And then on the day then, does that involve, like I was at a festival and I won't name it, recently in the Midlands and brilliant, brilliant event. Absolutely thoroughly enjoyed the day. But the one thing that struck me as being perhaps missing was a clear lack of signage. So you knew you had to be in a certain area, but you didn't know how on the day. Well, how do I get to that part or whatever? So then things like making sure that people are recycling in the correct bins. Do you then have to put extra effort into making sure that your signage is really clear then on the day? So at least then people can be can attempt to work with you and do things properly while they're there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a, a really, really um, important thing to just be really clear about, you know, directions around around recycling, around, um, uh, you know, not using plastic bottles, all of our, our things that we want to put in place. Um, I think that just has to be really clear. Um, so we're we're certainly focused on that this year as well. Are there challenges then if you're only doing vegetarian catering in catering then for people with, um, I think of people with, with invisible disabilities, the likes of, um, like celiac disease or, or dairy intolerances or, or things like that, then, you know, um, are, are there other things that you have to take into consideration? Because obviously, if you have celiac disease and you want to, you believe in, in, in sustainability and you want to go and enjoy some yoga classes, you, you do have to be able to eat while you're there too. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think the people that we are working with, like vegetarian cooking is by its nature quite um creative and inventive and that and so um we uh, certainly would have you know um you know dairy free uh, wheat free um offerings for sure um and and you know that's something that i suppose in that inclusivity is something that's that's really important to the people that to us and to the people that we work with and and um yeah i would certainly i don't eat dairy or meat myself so i would certainly um you know welcome that and that would be to the forefront of my mind so definitely asking um, the people that we work with, those questions would be something that we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I know like it's a, it can be really challenging, particularly for people with celiac disease to be able to go out and, and to safely eat and, and to enjoy your food wherever they are. It, it can be a genuine challenge. And I'm, I'm guessing for festival operators, it's something challenging for you guys as well on the other side of things. You are now, we're talking in February. The event is happening in July and your, your, your ambition is to, to at least become a festival that would leave no trace. So in this second outing, then how do you, how will you judge whether or not it's been successful for you? Um, yeah. So this, so the next one is the second of July. Um, and yeah, I suppose it's just, um, in how we can, how we can do our lineup to reflect our, our, our idea, our vision. Um, and, um, how, like the people that we can work with, the, the traders, the retailers, we, you know, that we can start making those connections, start working with those, um, people, um, and that, and obviously then, um, you know, have the attendees part of that message as well. Um, and so I suppose, yeah, it just, um, we build on it then every year from that. Alice, can I ask on a real practical level, like I know a lot of festivals over the past, say, decade or so had built up a following and then because of the likes of insurance costs and stuff, weren't able to continue. Like as festival organisers, how challenging is it to, to bring a festival to Ireland at the moment? 
Yeah, well, look, we're very young, so we're we're uh, full of hope and aspiration. But um, yeah, no, it is it is difficult. Like you always with Ireland, you you know, you always have the weather to contend with, mm-hmm. and um, obviously people who've who've had festivals recently have had COVID as well to deal with. So, um, but yeah, we can we could uh, look. There's a lot of organisation. There's a, a lot of um kind of stuff to do. Um, but but we're we're just. I mean, I suppose we're at um that stage where we we're we're ready to do it well alice harrison best of luck to yourself and your your three woman team um, yes. <laughs> as you embark on your second yoga picnic at lilliput house on the shores of loch ennell in july we might check in with you to see how you're progressing and whether or not you will be able to become a leave no trace festival i think it's a an interesting space and i think other festival organizers will be looking to you guys to see how you get on to see if they can perhaps learn from your experience and alice i I do believe you're talking to me on um, a birthday day. So happy birthday. Thank you very much for, uh, <laughs> Thank you so for, much. <laughs> for taking the time out of what should be a day of relaxation. But uh, Thank you we, so much. Uh, thanks I'm for joining us. I'm just about to swim in the sea now here in the west of Ireland. So Fabulous. <laughs> well, you go enjoy your um, your fresh swim in the Atlantic so Ocean. Um, I, I, I'm yes. not jealous of you at all because it sounds absolutely <laughs> Baltic. But I do love to swim in the sea, so I, I understand the temptation. Yeah. Thanks very much for your time. And Thank I do hope so we much, have Ashley. you back okay. on Let's Go Green in and- the future. Can I just say uh, with the Instagram, uh, we're the yoga picnic, just if anyone wanted to follow us and follow along with the progress as well. We will be sure to, to mention that. So uh, Yoga Picnic on Instagram if you want to find out more about the event this coming July and the efforts that Alice and her team are making. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands103.com. But I'm afraid that's all we have time for on this week's episode of the show. Don't forget, you can get in contact with me directly on midlands103.com. Just look up my name, Ashling O'Rourke, on the website there. And there's a handy link where you can send me a message directly through it. Of course, we are also available on your preferred podcast app. We're on Spotify, Google and indeed Apple Podcasts. So if you can't listen in to Let's Go Green of a Monday night, just tune into your preferred podcast app and you will find us there. My thanks to my guests for this week's episode of Let's Go Green. I hope you learned something about greenwashing and how it's in many cases quite legal but is it ethical and do we need, I think we do, I think we need some legislation around just everything requiring regulation of how environmental issues are communicated to us. I think we need plain English legislation. I know it's been done elsewhere. I know they are working on it in the UK, so I promise we will come back to it at a later date here on Let's Go Green. And of course, we will follow the progress of the yoga picnic at Loch Ennell House. It'll be very interesting to see how the ladies get on in making their festival waste-free. We've seen those horrible pictures after large festival gatherings in different parts of the country where there's been so much rubbish and litter and tents and God knows what left behind. So it'll be very interesting to see how the yoga picnic grows and develops in the coming festival seasons. That is it for this week's episode of Let's Go Green. Have a great week, stay safe and I'll be back same time next week with another edition of Let's Go Green.